inner Bruce Buffer out real quick. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, our guest this evening has 20 years experience as a law enforcement officer. Positions include DARE officer, public information officer, and FBI trained hostage negotiator. He is the podcast host of the Speaking of Harvey podcast and is also a business communications coach. Last but certainly not least, the author of the upcoming book that's scheduled to be released in April 2023, Science Kills. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome me, or please help me welcome <laughs> Scott Harvey. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome, But How you doing? I'm doing real, real well. You? Yeah, doing pretty good. Doing good. 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 Had a busy week. You? I, yeah, it's been busy. I've been traveling and speaking and doing all the things that I love to do, so nice. life is good. Awesome, awesome. Jeff, what about your week? My week's been easy. I'm yeah, has I'm not going to lie, yeah. Man, I've been dealing I with hate that. to make y'all feel bad, because, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, mine's been easy. <laughs> That's good. good. Hey, at least someone's having a good week. I mean, gee whiz. So, uh, Scott, <clears throat> I don't know if you had a chance to uh, jump into our back catalog of episodes or anything like that, but... Here at the Moose Lounge, we like to interview individuals that turn passions into careers. Mm -hmm. And while you might be discovering a new passion as of writing, I'd like to talk to you real quick about one of your other passions, speaking. Mm -hmm. Now, Scott, with a resume like yours, I bet you can talk the paint off the walls and it'll listen. <clears throat> but when did you first realize that you had a knack for speaking? Was it during your law enforcement career? Was it something that happened before? Has it always been there? So I really kind of discovered it during my law enforcement career for the most part. Now, I remember back in middle school, and I've talked to my wife about this, I remember the guys coming in for the assemblies and thinking as a middle schooler, man, that'd be a cool job. That'd be a great job. And my wife's like, honey, everybody thought that. Like, you know, a person comes in, everybody wants to be that person. Yeah, so, right. you know, I do remember that. But then in law enforcement, I was only in law enforcement about three years before I got focused on prevention. There was a DARE position available. I tried for the DARE position, put in for it, was selected, went to DARE training. And then I taught DARE one day a week while working patrol the rest of my shift. Uh, so I was doing DARE kind of part-time. And working in the classroom, working with the kids, I really got to enjoy teaching and you know telling people better ways to make decisions. And so when I got to about... 2010, I had about eight years left in my career. I was really active in DARE. I was a training all, or attending all of the training conferences internationally and, and locally and in the state. And I got to know the conference organizers. And the, the Kentucky State Conference organizer came to me about a month ahead of one of our conferences and said, hey, one of our breakout sessions had to cancel. Do you have anything you can talk about and fill this slot for me? I'm like, well, I've been researching bullying. In 2010, that was a hot topic issue. (laughs) So I was researching bullying. I said, I could probably do a bullying presentation. Mm -hmm. She said, that'd be great if you could do that. She didn't pay me. I was already at the conference. They waived my conference free. So my department was a big fan of it. Saved them like 300 (laughs) bucks or something. So they're like, you know, keep doing this, Scott. We're a fan of this. So so I did that first session, and it was full of school uh, administrators, principals, school resource officers. And they came up to me afterwards. There was probably a dozen people in that first session. They came to me afterwards. They said, we'd really like you to come train our staff. And I was like, well, you'd have to pay my gas or something like that. Like, I didn't even think about how this would work. And they're like, well, we can do that. So I did that, and then their staff was like, well, we want you to come back and talk to our students. Yeah. Uh, this is something we need to discuss with them. And it just kind of 
it picked up steam and, and it just kind of kept rolling with that. And mm. I started working for the Kentucky Center for School Safety on a contract basis doing trainings for them. People would contact the Center for School Safety and say, hey, we need somebody that can come and talk about bullying. They would contact me and I would go and do it. The center would pay me. Nice. Uh, and then it just got to a point where I was kind of outgrowing their ability to to fund all of the, the requests that mm. were coming in. And I also knew in 2010 that I could retire in 2018. When I signed in, it was 20-year hazardous duty retirement. It's now 25, uh, but I was grandfathered into that. And so I knew I'd already done the math. Even public school, I could do this kind of math in my head, man. I I knew I could retire at 43. And I knew I wasn't going to sit at the house at 43. I've got two little girls (laughs) that are going to need to buy things. And, you know, the pension is nice, but it's not a great way to raise a family. So, you know, I just kind of kept doing the gigs and kept doing the speaking, using vacation time from the police department for my final eight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boss was very much on board with it. It was my time to use. And yeah. as long as I wasn't neglecting my other duties, he was fine with it. Right. Uh, and so I was off the clock and I was getting paid by the people who brought me in to speak. And then in 2018, when I retired, I was just able to step into that full time yeah. and make that the, the side gig, the main gig, basically. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's cool. Awesome, awesome. <clears throat> so you're also a a podcast host, and did that just did it just make sense for you to do it? Because you was already a speaker, and you was like, I could interview people too. Or yeah, you know, the podcast thing was kind of interesting because I've always been a podcaster. Like mm-hmm. I love, love, love music. But when I'm in the gym, when I'm on a drive, whatever, by myself, mm-hmm. I'm podcast. I'm listening to podcasts. Right. That's where I keep my head engaged. And honestly, if I get injured or something and can't get in the gym, I get behind on my podcasts. Yeah. And that's what I notice. Like, I don't notice that I feel bad. I'm like, I'm behind on my podcast. I need to get out here and get get better. You know, so I've always podcasted. And it just, when I retired and had the time, mm-hmm. I did some research and found that startup is next to nothing. Like, it's like a hundred bucks for my microphone with the yeah. boom arm and everything. The software was already on my Mac for free. Oh. And the monthly... Um, podcasting host, the the tier I'm at is like twenty bucks. Yeah. I'm like, if this sucks, like I'm out a hundred bucks, <laughs> and I could sell my microphone for fifty. Like right. this is. And what I loved about the podcast initially was being able to connect to people who were further down the road that I wanted to travel. Right. People that I had no business having on my podcast. When I reach out to them, they're like, "Yeah, we'll come out." Yeah. And, you know, it's Zoom conversations. It costs them thirty minutes of their day. Yeah. Right. You know, but Grant Baldwin, Jeff Goins, Cliff Ravenscraft. Mm-hmm. You know, Clint Pulver has been on my podcast like three times, and yeah. he's a huge corporate speaker. He just spoke at NASA this week. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Uh, so you know, and those people have become friends. Yeah. You know, you connect over these podcasts, and you. They use your platform for free. Several mm-hmm. of those people were on when they wrote a book. And yeah. so here I am in the Moose Lounge with you guys because <laughs> sure. I wrote a book. And I'm super grateful that you share your platform with me. Uh, and I want to provide value to your listeners yeah. for sure. Yeah. So you say you're a corporate speaker? I am. I still do school assemblies. That's what I've done most of my starting out time was school assemblies. And 2020 is when I really started kind of pivoting towards corporate because, you know, I'm like, I'm older than I've ever been. Uh, it's it's harder to connect with your 13-year-old kids. Yeah. I'm 48 years old, right? right? They see the gray hairs. They're not stupid. Like, <laughs> I, I do stay up on the technology and the social media stuff that we talk about. Yeah. And I'm very, very aware of what their world is like. Uh, but at the same time, the corporate world allows me to add more of what I know from the policing, mm-hmm. from, from hostage negotiations, from public information officer stuff. So... Yeah. I decided 2019, I really want to start pivoting towards corporate. 
And so I did in January and February, I did presentations for corporations that I was close friends with the, the people who ran them to kind of test out the market and see what connected and what didn't. And I was, everything was connecting, everything was good. And then March of 2020 came and yeah. shut the world down yeah. uh, and everybody <laughs> ran away. And literally uh, Wednesday before the shutdown, I was in a middle school in McCreary County, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came over at lunch. Then the governor said, we're going to shut down the, everything for two weeks. And the principal and I were like, okay, well, two weeks, we'll be back in two weeks. And then yeah. like 95% of my business income was turned off like a faucet yeah. uh, for almost two years. Wow. Uh, and yeah, you know, PPP and EIDL got me through, you know, some difficult times. Thankfully, I'm a sub S corp. I'm a, I'm a business. I'm not just a, you yeah. know, a guy doing a side gig. I yeah. made it professional. So that qualified me for the, uh-huh. the relief that I have since paid back. Cause I don't want to owe the government nothing because <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, they no. have unlimited ability to collect that. <laughs> <laughs> so right. we are square. We are good. <laughs> I appreciate the help. I'm out. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was, you know, the corporate stuff is is really kicking back in now, and that's what I'm I'm trying to do more. If a school calls me, I will absolutely be there. Yeah, um, but I just don't advertise to schools like I used to. Okay, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So when you go speak to these corporates or these <clears throat> corporations, what uh, I don't know. What are you talking about? I mean. Yeah. What what do you talk to them about? Like, because you're yeah, speaking yeah. to the employees, right? You're not speaking to the to the the higher ups administration, or do you do both? Or I do both. Honestly, when I was at a company this past week, uh, basically what I tell the company, I'm like, for for the fee that they pay me, like I'm yours for the day. Mm-hmm. You know, use me however you feel mm-hmm. best needed. And sometimes that's I'll do a presentation that morning for the staff, and then I will kind of walk around and just connect with employees, talk to people, sit at somebody's desk for 15 minutes because that's when you can really find out where we're communicating well, what needs worked on. You know, these people will talk to me cause I'm not their boss. Right. So they're like, well, this is what really sucks around here. Or <laughs> this is what's going really well around here. And without naming names, I'll do a report at the end of the day and give it back to the, to the uh, mm-hmm. administration there. But this last organization, like I spent two hours in a corporate, in a high level, you know, leadership meeting mm-hmm because they had some difficult things to discuss and they wanted some communication input. And then I trained all 150 of their staff. And then we did, they did a team building exercise that I helped with. And then they had a happy hour where we all stood around and had a drink and talked for an hour or so. And you know, that was the day. What was the name of that business? Uh, I know, right? It was, it was a really cool business. I've gotten to, to see some cool places and see, the businesses who bring me in are the ones who really care about culture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the ones who don't will give you like a Yeti tumbler at Christmas or something <laughs> dumb like that. You know, we all have 50 Yeti tumblers yeah. that, you know, yep. right. fall out of every cabinet when we open the door. So, yeah. So yep. when, when you're talking to adults, mm-hmm. how do you keep your speech captivating for them? You know, it's funny. I tell, I tell business executives when they contact me, they're like, you know, what do you, what do you, how are you going to hold people's attention? Yeah. I'm like, if I can keep a thousand 13 year olds attention in a school gym for an hour, like your corporate boardroom does not scare me. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not worried about this, but you know, it's a great question. And it's, it's a lot of, of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I, and that's what's in the book. That's how I teach. That's how people remember, mm-hmm. you know, we have taught through stories since before there was written word, yeah. you know, yeah. fables and things like that, that we know our kids don't know, sadly, like they don't know the fables that we grew mm. up with. They don't know the things that taught lessons and that right. kind of stuff that, that we knew, but that's how people have taught for millennia. Mm-hmm. 
And so I try to work stories into what we're talking about so that they'll re- remember what we talked about in a different way. Okay. And most of those stories will tie to an emotion. I mean, I don't. It's not uncommon to have somebody crying in my presentation, yeah. uh, wiping away a tear. And I, you know, people come up to me afterwards and they're like, "Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I, that was really rough," is what they say. I'm yeah. like, "I know, but that was on purpose." Yeah. Because when you look at the brain research, the things you remember the most are tied to an emotion. And that sounds manipulative when you say that, like, well, he's making people cry. So I'm triggering an emotion so that they will remember what we talked about longer because I feel like what we talked about is really beneficial. Yeah. And in the world that's as noisy as ours, you have to do what you can to get people to remember the important stuff. Yeah, it's kind of hard today. It is. It's just really so noisy. I was like, man, people don't shut up no more. <laughs> it's really noisy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I just listened to the, uh, the podcast episode where you said exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but, yeah, I've, I've been binging it here lately, you know, preparing for you. And I've made it 1 through 26, and then I think 50 through 54, up to your 55. Is that what it is? Yeah, we're about that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I've made it through there. Um I've had a lot of good people on. I've had a lot of good people. I've been blessed to connect with a lot of people. And, I, you know, I unashamedly took about an 18, 19-month hiatus from the mm. podcast while I was writing the book. Yeah. Okay. And while COVID was going on, I did some. But, like, I took a break from it because, you know, during COVID, the hard part was in my business was to not was to focus on things that would pay me money. Mm-hmm. And I don't monetize my podcast. Right. It's fun. It's something I do to connect with people and mm. to and to test stories. I'm always testing stories on the yeah. podcast, but it's not a moneymaker. So right. I have really had to focus on the coaching that I do because I facilitate a mastermind. I had to focus on, you know, doing virtual presentations yeah. for clients that wanted those. And that's what I spent most of my time on. I put together an online course for parents when it comes to social media, because that's the stuff I was doing in the schools that I couldn't do anymore. Right. And so now it's an online course that parents can take if they want to. Yeah. So yeah. those were the things I was doing. The podcast just got put on hold. And then I was slow to restart it because the first 50 episodes or so, I recorded it, I edited it, I did all the, th- I uploaded it, I did all the things yeah. because I could. Like I did an online course that was free and figured out how to do that stuff, yeah. but I didn't like it. Like, it's, <laughs> like I can do it, but it yeah. sucked. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I hired a podcast editor to start it back up because now all I literally do is hit record, drop it in Dropbox, and Jennifer takes care of everything from there. Nice. Uh, and it's ridiculous. And yeah. it's it's the best thing ever because... Creating content is what I'm best at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can edit it, but it sucks, and I'd rather not do it. Yeah. Uh, Sounded good to me. Well, Jennifer <laughs> yeah. does a much better job. I'm yeah. really pleased with what Jennifer does, and uh, you know, she takes more. She takes more of the stress off of me than mm-hmm. anything. Right. And that's then, what she focuses on too. Right? That's what she does. Yeah, yeah. she's with Bourbon, Bar- Bourbon Barrel Podcasting. So if you're oh. looking for a podcast editor, that's that's who you would contact okay. because she she does my work now, and and she's really really good at it. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Maybe we should do. <laughs> oh man so uh on your podcast you spoke of attempting to write another book mm-hmm. but it got put on hold mm-hmm. it wasn't silence kills it right right okay yeah so if this book does really good are we gonna see that book there's a there's another book coming whether mm-hmm. this one does good or not because okay. i found there was a lot i learned in the writing process now what you're referencing was I actually wrote about 5,000 words of the wrong book no. before I wrote Silence Kills. <laughs> like it was one of those things where I was writing it. I'm like, this is good. I like this. And then you get to a point where you're climbing this ladder and you're like, 
this wall is not the wall I want to be on. Like yeah. if, if I get to the top of this ladder, I'm not going to be pleased. So I just kind of put it on hold, mm-hmm. put it into a file in my computer where it stayed. I didn't have to look at it. It's not like it sat on my desk as unfinished business. Right. And I just thought about it. And when I did, started doing the corporate speaking and started connecting with this content that became Silence Kills, I'd already tested it. I'd already crowd tested the stories. Yeah. I'd already presented this stuff. I knew it connected. It had been able to be polished over the couple of years that I'd been presenting it. And so that's what the book became. And I did salvage one or two stories from the first 5,000 words that I wrote. Yeah. So I didn't lose all 5,000 words. But there'll be more books coming. It's been a good process. It's mm. been a good way to get content out there without me having to travel. Cause as much as I love speaking, uh, the travel gets old. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people are like, you get to go to these cool places. I'm like, every hotel ballroom <laughs> looks the same. <laughs> like, and even if it's in a ridiculously cool city, like you're by yourself. Yeah, like, right. I can't you really know, enjoy it. Yeah. You're like, Oh, isn't that awesome? And you have nobody to share it with. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's good and bad to it. My wife travels with me some, but she's a school teacher. So, mm-hmm. you know, when it's during the week, like she's got a job and yeah. she does that. So, you know, it's, it's, the book allows me to spread the message more widely. Mm-hmm. And also the book becomes a business card that people don't throw away. Right. Like I'll talk to an HR director at a company. They'll talk about bringing me in. They're like, well, I don't know if it makes sense. I said, let me send you a book. Yeah. And then that book will sit on their bookshelf or on their desk until they remember or they have a communication issue. And they're like, well, I know a guy who can help right. us with this. <laughs> you know, business cards, like we either put them in a file or we throw them away. Yeah. So the book becomes a business card that doesn't get thrown away. Uh, and it's helpful if they just read it, but mm-hmm. a lot of people are busy and they don't, but it still sits there and reminds them they know a guy who can help them with this issue. Yeah. Uh, I'd much rather prevent it. I'd much rather come in and train their staff before they get in the ringer, <laughs> but that's just not how life works. No. <laughs> Sometimes we're playing cleanup and I did yeah. that as a police officer and, and, uh, it sucks, but you know, mm-hmm. it, sometimes that's what you have to do. All right. Well, <clears throat> the... <clears throat> In this day and age, Scott, mm-hmm. is silence a problem? Because if you ask me, it seems like people don't know how to keep their mouth shut anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And here's here's my issue. There are a lot of people saying a lot of things. It's a very, very noisy world. Like, we know that. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of people talking about things they know nothing about. Yeah. From a business standpoint, though, when there's a – especially when there's a crisis – Businesses tend to shut down communication because they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. They they want to say something because they don't want to tank their business. But they're like, if I say the wrong thing over this hot button issue, maybe our product had an issue. Maybe we had a uh, maybe we made the news for all the wrong reasons. Whatever yeah. it is, they just shut down communication because they don't want to say the wrong thing, yeah. and so they end up saying nothing. And we, as consumers, as customers, as employees of the business are left to fill in the blanks. And our imagination is way more creative than what the actual problem is. <laughs> and so we will fill in a narrative that's just not the case. Yeah. And then if they finally do open up communications, we're we're convinced we already knew what happened. Yeah. And so I really don't want to hear you. Yeah. Uh, and if you're silent long enough, it just feels like you don't care. Well, yeah, that's, that's one of the true. big things in the book I say. A silence yeah. without rapport feels like we don't care. Mm-hmm. My wife and I can ride in the car for an hour and not talk, and neither one of us is mad because we've had <laughs> 25 years of communication. Yeah, like that's yeah. just like we know. But if I'm a new customer, a new employee, or something like that, and and all of a sudden everybody's silent, like what's up? Yeah, like my my defensive posture comes up. I start trying to figure things out, mm-hmm. and they're silent when they shouldn't be. 
Right. You know, there's nothing we can't communicate our way through. Yeah. Uh, one of the examples I use in my in my presentation, I didn't put it in the book, is you know in Ferguson, Missouri, when they when they shot Michael Brown, it was 22 hours before Ferguson Police Department said anything to the media. Yeah. Now I know they were they were busy, right? They they had just a lot of things going on. There was mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes made that night for sure. But 22 hours is when the hands up, don't shoot narrative was born. Yeah. By a guy who wasn't even there when it happened. And when it was found later to be physiologically impossible for him to have been kneeling with his hands in the air when he was shot, it didn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the narrative was already out. And there was a lot of mistakes made that night. I'm not going to rehash them. You know, yeah. both sides made some poor choices. But my point from the communication standpoint is we've got to be in front of it. You know, I don't like the word spin, but I do like controlling the narrative because yeah. if you're not the first to tell the story, you lose control of it. Mm-hmm. And even if that story is, we made a mistake and we are fixing it and we're going to make sure this never happens again and we would really like your patience. Right. Like, that's a cool thing to release if yeah, you've right. messed up. Like, you know, it tells me as a customer, as an employee, like, yeah, this sucks, but they've owned it yeah. and they're going to fix it. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're not trying to blame somebody else or anything like that. So yeah. I... I just feel like silence from that standpoint is the issue. No, yeah. uh, we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing, which is good nature, you know, good intention on our mm-hmm. part. We end up saying nothing, mm-hmm. which does more damage sometimes than saying the wrong thing. Right. Now, being a speaker, what are you most afraid of? Is that silence? You know, it's funny. Silence doesn't scare me like yeah. it does some <laughs> speakers because when I do like a corporate presentation or a conference presentation over this topic. Once I'm introduced, I will be silent for the first 30 seconds. No. I won't say a word. And people get super uncomfortable <laughs> after about 10 seconds. Now, I tell the people that brought me in I'm going to do this because yeah. they'll be on the stage trying to fix stuff if I don't. Mm-hmm. But watching people squirm and after 20 seconds or so, like people are offering to help me with stuff. And yeah. like I'm just standing there like smiling, <laughs> looking at people. You know, I'm making eye contact. I'm moving yeah. around. And then when my phone alarm goes off after 30 seconds, I'm like, that was only 30 seconds. <laughs> and you guys got super uncomfortable. Well, I did this at a women's conference last year in Bowling Green. And like at the 15 second mark, they all started clapping. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are my favorite people. Like they're trying to support me. They're like, you can do it. I'm like, love them. And like they, you know, they just were encouraging. And, yeah. you know, so I use that to say I was silent for 30 seconds and you had already filled in what was wrong with me. His slides have locked up. He's forgotten what he was going to say, all yeah. that stuff. You've been silent with people who emailed you a week ago. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Like they're waiting to hear from you for a week. What yeah. have they filled in <laughs> as to why you're silent? Maybe you just lost their, maybe your email got buried mm-hmm. or something like that. You yeah. didn't mean anything by it, right. but they've already filled in what happened. And so I'm not as troubled by silence as a hostile negotiator. Once we've established rapport, mm-hmm. I can be silent. Yeah. And we were silent one night. I, the, I was the secondary negotiator that night. The primary negotiator was on the phone with a guy who was threatening to blow up his apartment. Said he had a bomb, was going to blow the place up. So, you know, he's talking to him. And we'd been talking for two hours. Mm-hmm. And after about two hours, the primary negotiator just kind of became silent. And after about 20 seconds, the guy on the other end goes, buddy, are you okay? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> which told us as negotiators, like we had established rapport, which yeah. is what we wanted to do. He was concerned. Yeah. And he's probably not going to blow himself up. Like if he's legitimately asking if we're okay, yeah. he has a desire to live. He's concerned for us. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a turning point in the negotiations. So I tell businesses silence can be used in the short term as a tactic. It mm-hmm. just can't be our long-term game plan. We just can't walk around saying no comment. Right. Yeah. Cause That's you guys good. have heard, somebody says no comment. What do you think? They're guilt. Well, 
depending on, I guess, what situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, most of the time they're guilty of something. Yeah. They're guilty. Yeah. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. They're, they're <laughs> right. trying to cover their ass. You know yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. Can we say ass in the Moose Lounge? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> cool. So was, but they had a donkey behind them. That's what they were trying to cover their donkey. Uh, but you know, they're, they're, that's what we think when we hear no comment. Yeah. And I tell businesses all the time. There's, and lawyers are the best at this. They're, they will tell their HR people, "Don't say anything." Yeah. You can't say anything. I'm like, you can say something, right? right? <clears throat> There's almost never a time where you can't say anything. Uh, mm. Say something to say we're aware, we're working on it. Appreciate your patience. Yeah, right. That kind of stuff. Something's better than nothing. Correct. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So it's being cool. a negotiator kind of what drove you into the book? Yeah, the book, it was the differentiator. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, when I started doing the corporate speaking, I was mostly kind of leaning into the law enforcement aspect of what I did. You know, I was a police officer and... You know, because I met with John Acuff. I don't know if you guys know John Acuff or not. He's a speaker, writer, uh, wrote some really good books. Uh, Soundtracks is one of his best. But I met with him one day for coffee, and he was like, you know, police is your differentiator. He said when corporate people bring in corporate trainers, they're just talking about the last boardroom they were in, which is an okay story. He goes, you're talking about stuff when lives are on the line. Like, that's a different story. And then a buddy of mine, Joe Fingerhut, who's a speaker as well, he was like, man, I didn't know you were a hostage negotiator. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was. Like, I did yeah. that for 18 years. He's like, why are you yeah. not telling people that? He goes, because when I hear law enforcement, I think maybe he wrote a desk his whole career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes, but when I hear hostage negotiator, I know you can communicate in any situation. So I thank Joe a lot for kind of pointing out mm-hmm. what I had taken for granted. Yeah. <laughs> because we all have things that we're – we just do because we just do it. Like, yeah. it's not a thing. We don't think anything of it. Like, I, my brother fixes cars. He can fix any car. I can't fix anything on the car, so I call my brother. And to him, it's aggravating that I didn't know how to fix it because he just knows so much about right. them. So okay. the things we do every day, we don't realize are cool to other people. Yeah. So Joe kind of called that out of me. John Acuff called out the, the law enforcement side and said, that's your differentiator mm-hmm. in the corporate world. And Joe Fingerhut pushed it even further and said, you need to talk about your negotiator stuff. It definitely makes it more interesting to listen to. Like, yeah. not, I'm not saying you're boring, but. No, sometimes <laughs> I can be. Ask my wife. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I can. Well, if I was like at a business, you know, going to listen to somebody talk, mm-hmm. like, I'd much rather talk to an ex FBI. For sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people tell me all the time, they compare me to Chris Voss, who he wrote the book Never Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. And, I've actually not read his book intentionally because I wanted to write mine first. I've yeah. heard him on podcasts. He's very, very intelligent. Chris is more into the negotiation of the business deal, though, mm-hmm. which is great. I'm more into the basics of communication. Like yeah. I don't get in-depth in the book or in a presentation because when it hits the fan, we can't do complicated. Yeah. Our brain won't do it. It is the basic stuff. It's the basic communication principles that are in that book that will carry you through Work stuff, home stuff, life stuff. Yeah. It's just proven ways of communicating, especially under stress. Yeah. Absolutely. So So uh <clears throat> as a as a dare officer, <clears throat> a public information officer, which is like what if an event happens, you're the spokesperson for when the media comes, is that what that is? Correct. Okay. <clears throat> and then as a hostage negotiator, plus you're married and have two daughters. Mm-hmm. So having difficult conversations is the name of your game. For sure. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I imagine you're pretty good at it, but what kind of advice can you give to an individual who is not as trained as you are to have a difficult 
yeah. uh, conversation. Yeah, I think it just depends on, one, the relationship. You know, if it's a family member, it's different than if it's a, an employee, you know, somebody on your team that you're their supervisor or something like that. With our daughters growing up, we we had our best conversations with them and our most awkward conversations. Intentionally, we saved them for the car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Because in the car, you're not making eye contact. Like, they can roll their eyes, they can turn red, they can do whatever from yeah. the back seat, even from the passenger seat. And they don't have to look you in the face. Right. And that makes difficult conversations easier for teenagers. Like, yeah. we call them shoulder-to-shoulder time instead of face-to-face time. So, you know, with an employee or a team member, like, you're not going to go for a ride in the car. Like, that's yeah. creepy. Don't do that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, if you work in a truck and you wait till you're driving, that's fine. Have it then. But if you work in an office, don't say, let's go for a drive. <laughs> that'll get you in HR real yeah. quick. Uh, and we don't want that. But, you know, seriously, and I tell them, you know, when you have to have a difficult conversation at work with a team member, I'll tell them, listen, I want to have a conversation. I don't want to offend you. That's yeah. not my intent. My intent is to make you better at your job to make you to where you're indispensable around here. That's really what I want. In order to get that, we have to have these hard conversations. Mm -hmm. If I say something offensive, please let me know. Because that's not what I'm trying to do. If you disagree with me, you can let me know that as well. But we're going to have a difficult conversation. And the hardest part is those first few sentences. And then tell them what you're going to tell them. Like, don't sit and wait 30 minutes in until, you know, they're super comfortable before you spring something on them. It feels like a bear trap. Like, you know, just let them know, I want to have a hard conversation. You're not getting fired or anything like that, but Mm. we need to make sure we're clear on some things moving forward so that you can be as successful as you can be. You know, Dave Ramsey says, to be unclear is to be unkind. And I use that quote quite a bit. It feels like we're being mean when we call people to a higher standard. Yeah, It's actually the kindest thing we can do. If you're not doing what I need you to do, if I ignore that and let you just keep compounding this, there's going to come a point where I'm going to have enough and you're out of here. (laughs) Where if I was very clear from the beginning, like these are our expectations, this is what being successful in your job looks like. And if we're not meeting that, I need to tell you that. So you can course correct. And then if you choose not to course correct, at least I've been very clear. And then we would let you, as we would say in the police department, we would cut you free to be successful someplace else. Oh, that's uh, a good way to put it. You're not going to be successful here, right? We've <laughs> yeah. given you opportunities to, yeah. to play by the rules. You're not doing that. So it's the best thing we can do is let you go be successful someplace else. That's a really good way to put it. It's a <laughs> euphemism, but, man, it does make it easier to have the conversation. It does. Like, like Legitimately, I don't mean any ill will to them. I'm yeah. not mad at them. Like we've given you opportunities to fix this. You haven't, you're just not going to be successful yeah. here. So why are we wasting your time and my time? Right now being an ex negotiator, mm-hmm. does it make your wife mad that you can talk your way? I'm assuming out of anything. Well, not out of, you would think, you would think, but I, and she has told me before, she's like, if I say something to her, she's like, don't negotiate with me. She sees it. Like she calls me on my crap sometimes. She's like, don't negotiate with me. Talk with me. But she also has told me in this, I know this is from negotiation. She goes, I know who you're talking to on the phone based on your side of the conversation. Yeah. The things you say, the voice you use, the, the work because you're trying to mimic the other person mm-hmm. because that's what pe- makes people comfortable. You're using their phrases back to them. And I do that subconsciously. I'm not doing it in a way to be creepy or weird, right. but you know, there's people that are our buddy. Hey buddy, how are you? Yeah. you know, usually means I don't remember your name because <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> you know, if I say, Hey buddy, how are you? I probably yeah. don't know your name. That's where we are. 
uh, you know, or if I don't, my wife and I have a standing deal. This is a side here, but like if I don't introduce her to somebody that's talking to me, yeah. In the first few seconds, she'll introduce herself, and I'll learn their name at the same time. Oh, nice. like I'm really bad at names. Yeah, uh, I but am too. You know, yeah, so I'm horrible at them. That's that's how it works, you know. If so, if I'm Steve during any of this, I get it. Moose. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, it's okay, man. I get it. I've been called Steve Harvey my whole life, even before Steve Harvey was cool. So it works. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I try not to negotiate with family, and I know sometimes. It, I've been known to really piss a teenage daughter off or two. I was gonna, I that was my next that. question. Yeah. Was. Yeah. Because like I shut things down pretty quickly. I, yeah. I see myself as, as the anti-drama person mm-hmm. in the family. Like this isn't a big deal, but I forget sometimes when you're 17, things that don't feel like a big deal when you're 48 are, are a big huge, deal when you're 17. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And I forget that sometimes. <laughs> or I just take something off the table. I'm like, this is not a negotiation. Yeah. Like we're not doing this. And so you can keep talking, but we're just not doing right. it. Right. Huh. Right. Wow. Which is a, a, a problem I have with, with Hollywood when they did the movie The Negotiator yeah. Yeah. years ago. <laughs> like Samuel L. Jackson said, you can't say no to a hostage taker. <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Like you can for sure. Because like they would say, if I need an AK-47 and a helicopter. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're not going to do that. Like you right. know that's not going to happen. Yeah. Why would I say, let me see what I can do? Yeah. Because then 20 minutes later, they're going to be like, where's my helicopter? Yeah. Where you can oh, say, yeah. buddy, that's not going to happen. Like if yeah. I could make that happen, I w- it's not going to happen. Yeah. What can we do to help you? Mm-hmm. How can we assist? Those are the questions that they yeah. become. Like that's a no. And it's just, and they knew it was a no when they presented it, right? They just wanted to see what they could ask right, for. Yeah, so, right. so let's, I'm, you know, I'm not your Huckleberry there, <laughs> but I will get you what I need to get you out of here in a safe way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm not a fool. So, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, how did you keep finding yourself in these speaking career roles? Like, it started off with, was you always a hostage negotiator? It started off with dare or? Yeah, I, I did dare and hostage negotiation about the same time. Okay. I got trained in both at around the same time. And because the negotiator thing was an on-call. It wasn't, you, we weren't full-time negotiators. We had a three-person team mm-hmm. that if we had a crisis that needed us, whether we were working or off, we got called out and we handled the situation along with the SWAT team. So right. I could do both without interfering with the others, honestly. So... You know, I I did both. I kind of developed both skills. And then the public information officer thing came with the community services division that I was running at the time. That was that fell under our umbrella with those dealing with the media and doing those kind of things. So that's another thing I help organizations with is, is getting ahead of stories, because, you know, with the police department, we were always telling the media what was going on. Mm -hmm. We were doing releases all the time. Yeah. Fifty percent of them never got aired. But we were oh. constantly letting them know what was going on mm-hmm. so that it was an open line of communication. Okay. And sometimes they would call us and say, like, ah, I don't know if we're going to cover this or not. And sometimes they would show up on something we sent out that we thought was stupid. Yeah, It was a slow news day. Yeah. Cats weren't playing. There was no tornado. <laughs> like, we got to cover something. Yeah. And so they would show up and yeah. we'd give them a story. And that was a good way to build a relationship with the media so mm. that when we did have a situation that was more serious – they trusted us. Right. Like, if you develop the relationships in the small stuff, and that's what will support the tragedies. Right. You know, when we had an accidental shooting one time, an officer meant to tase somebody and shot him instead because we had the tasers a day, mm-hmm. and muscle memory's a thing, mm-hmm. and it happened. We got right out in front of it. Yeah. And we said, we did 10 hours of training. Taser recommends eight. And it was an accident. And yeah. state police took over the investigation, and we handled it appropriately. The dude got paid, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, 
everything worked out because we just got in front of it. You're you're not going to be perfect, and nobody expects you to be perfect. Right. We do want you to kind of own up to the times that you're not. Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah. say, you know, this was a tragedy, yeah. and we're going to take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. That's so. kind of hard. There's not a lot of people that own up to their stuff nowadays. Yeah, and, you know, it's... <laughs> Especially in the social media world. Yeah. And that's one of my pet peeves. Like, we live in a culture that is very unforgiving when it comes to somebody's mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, what they do to Kevin Hart a few years ago went back like 15 years ago to some joke he made about, you know, gay people or something and got him to not host an award show. Yeah. And my issue with that is, like, the stuff I said when I was 20 years old, I don't believe that now at 48. It's not the person you are now. Like we learn, we grow, we mature, we get better, and we've got to start being aware of that. And Mm -hmm. we got to quit digging. And social media makes that really easy. Yeah. You just go back in somebody's Twitter account 15 years. What were they tweeting about? Yeah. Like we've got to be aware that we are leaving a digital footprint and we've got to manage that. And we've got to be aware that whatever we put on the internet is the world wide web. Mm Mm-hmm. Like our generation, different from the teenagers, like we used to have to type in www to get on the yeah. internet. <laughs> right. Like I miss those days, you know, because <laughs> some people still are. <laughs> By the way, some people are still going www dot, and some people are even https beforehand. Oh, like whoa. those are the old school geeks, yeah. right? Yeah. Semicolon backslash. Exactly. <laughs> but I tell people all the time, like I miss those days because my OCD brain would say World Wide Web yeah. every time I typed that in there, yeah. and it was a reminder. Reminder to me, this is a worldwide conversation. Mm. And our students and our teenagers don't have that reminder. Like they just hang up with their mom or dad on the phone and they click the next button and talk to the world. Right. And they forget that it's not a private conversation. They end up saying stupid stuff. And adults do too. Like they forget that this is in front of the world Mm -hmm. uh, and it needs to be filtered as if the world can see it. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever we're tweeting, whatever we're posting, whatever we're sharing, like the world sees that. And you won't get a chance to explain that it was actually funny. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> and I have given some of my friends special permission. I'm like, if you see me post something that you read as offensive, please call me. Yeah. Because what I tell in the book and what I tell organizations is we type it with our tone mm-hmm. and people read it with theirs. Yeah. And when they read it back to me, I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant <laughs> at all. <laughs> like, it's my words, but I'm like... Because I'm like, how could you be? That was funny. And they yeah. read it back. I'm like, oh, man, I see where that could be <laughs> yeah. offensive. Like, That's why I don't like text messages. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I mean, it's nice to get it out there, but yeah. like, It's so you, easy yeah. to misunderstand. Oh, it sure is. Or, so easy. <clears throat> yeah. You know, the, and the research in the book, like 7% of our messages in the words. The other 93% is in our tone and in yeah. our body language. Mm-hmm. So when you're texting, when you're posting, you're getting 7% of the message mm-hmm. when you're emailing. And my, my youngest daughter's like, Dad, that's what emojis are for. <laughs> You're not wrong, but in a professional <laughs> business world, like we don't emoji like yeah. we probably should. Yeah. But they do. The emojis do help. You know, understanding whether or not you're joking or not. Yeah. And, and my daughter's informed me when I say okay, period, in a text, she has to realize I'm an old person and that doesn't mean I'm mad. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because when a kid okay. says Statement. that, like, they're like, well, they're really mad at yeah. me. Yeah. Like, you know. Now, see, yeah. my wife's six years younger than me. And. Believe it or not, six years. Huge in, difference. In, in this day and age, it's it's a big difference. Yeah. So when we first started dating and texting and I said, okay, just okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, she thought I was I was upset. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. My daughters are four and a half years apart, five years in school. Mm-hmm. And the difference between their digital growing up yeah. is light years different. 
Like the things with the oldest one wouldn't work with the youngest yeah. one. It was a different world. You think four years, it's not, doesn't right. seem that long. Huge. What happened in those four years to, to communication, to uh-huh. social media, to everything yeah. was just, it was huge. It's ridiculous. And I know it's frustrating for my oldest daughter who's married now and she doesn't really <laughs> worry about this, but like it was frustrating for her to watch her younger sister do things before she was able to do them. Yeah. I'm like, well, things are different. Times uh-huh. have changed and uh-huh. we have to kind yeah. of manage how things are changing. You know, we don't <laughs> always love it, <laughs> right. but we have to teach them how to drive the car uh, responsibly. You know, it was mm-hmm. scary to teach my daughters to drive cars, but I took it seriously. Yeah. Because if they didn't drive, it's going to cripple them for the rest of their life. Like they oh, have yeah. to be able to know how to drive. Yeah. Social media is the same way. Like it'd be a lot easier if I told my kids, no social media. But it just cripples them. Like, they need that to get along in the world today. So, right. yeah. Especially nowadays. I, I don't even have social media oh. anymore. I can't, Man. It, <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. I, I hear people say that, and I'm like, oh, good for you. But I'm like, I wouldn't survive. Like, I'm such an extrovert. Like, my <laughs> social media for me is how I help people. Yeah. And it's part of the business, and it's part of the brand, and it's part of everything. And it can be too much, for sure. My yeah. wife sometimes like, put the phone down for a bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm like, this next TikTok yeah. might be the thing that changes my life. Uh, it, might, it might be the one. But like, that, we could find a new way to make eggs. Exactly. <laughs> you know? you know, who's making eggs today, man? They're too stupid expensive. They put a tortilla in it. It's, it's something crazy. I wouldn't ever thought of. crazy. <laughs> Oh, you bring up eggs, man. The bird flu. Like I eat three eggs every morning. Like this is really hitting my pocketbook, dude. Man. I, I had a. I'm almost about to get eggs from you because he's got chickens. I got two house. dozen sitting on my counter. Okay, but yeah, the last time I went to no the no one's going to know where my address is. <laughs> <laughs> They'll rob you blind, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. The no, last time I went to the chicken. grocery, like I get, I usually get the big two pack, like the mm-hmm. big thirty mm-hmm. something, and that's like almost ten dollars. It's stupid. Oh. I I used to buy them eighteen at a time, uh, two two of those, and they yeah. were. Three bucks a piece. Yeah. And I went to the Walmart this past month ago, and they were six bucks. I'm like, this is dumb. Uh-huh. I actually bought them at Sam's Club, 90 eggs for like 20. It ended up being like $27. Yeah. 27 cents an egg. Yeah. I'm like, that's still a dollar for breakfast. I'm, yeah. I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm officially the old man on the porch going, you know, it's stupid expensive. <laughs> I can't afford eggs anymore. It, but, it's, I mean, I had to cut back on eating eggs. I Because I, like, I eat like six at a time. Yeah. And I can't. Dozens, it's, dozens, two days. It's two bucks. Man. Six <laughs> yeah. at a time is two bucks. Like I know it sucks to pay it, but I'm I've done the math in yeah. my head. It's it's two bucks. It's horrible. So, yeah. I can't. <laughs> but we digress. We sh- yeah. we shouldn't talk about the egg crisis. I brought that up. I brought us down that rabbit hole. Uh, Mo- right. Hey, that's the moose line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get sidetracked all the time. Moose has got a list of questions, and egg is not on the list. Hey, that is all right. We talk about whatever you want to, man. Whatever you want to. Uh, you got anything for him? Dude, I got tons of stuff. Go man. ahead, <laughs> shoot them off. Oh, <laughs> uh, so did you, I know you? You probably didn't go to school for public speaking. Mm-mm. So, what helps you more as far as experience, like um, cop, da- the dare, or? Yeah, I think you know, and I tell police officers this because I coach people as well. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've got people in my mastermind that are retired law enforcement, and cops are great storytellers. Yeah. Like, we've got great stories, and some of them are actually true. I know a right? cop. <laughs> one, I used to work out with a cop, mm-hmm. and he's one of the funniest guys I know. Yeah. He would tell me some of the worst things. Oh. 
And he would just make you laugh about it. And you feel kind of bad laughing about it. You do. It. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, it's that survival instinct. Like, yeah. you deal with some crap. And when yeah. you're dealing with some crap, like, you have to turn it into uh-huh. a joke. Which offends some people, but, like, they've never been elbows deep in somebody's right. blood. Right. Like, they just right. haven't been. Right. And, you know, until you're there, until your fear for your life and your buddy's life, like, you don't know what you're going to laugh at and what you're not. Like, yeah. it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. But, you know, we're great at storytelling and... You know, storytelling is how I reached my dare students, mm-hmm. you know, co- connecting with what my kids did and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. they saw me as a dad. They, you know, we tried to humanize and show the heart behind the badge. So yeah. you know, that's just what I did through dare and through law enforcement. And the speaking stuff is it's just something that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's when I feel most alive. And, and the pandemic was tough because I yeah. couldn't get on stage. Uh, but the more people they can cram in, the, the happier I am. I have yeah. schools that call me like, what's your limit? I'm like, how big a space you got? Because <laughs> as long as the kids will fit in there, right, like, bring yeah. them in. I'm not worried. Yeah. So, What's the biggest audience you've ever spoken in front of? Biggest audience I've ever had was 1,600. Uh, that was at Meade County High School. Um, probably six, seven years ago, they brought in all of their grades into the gym, and mm-hmm. they were both sides and the whole floor and everything, and it was a great time. And, and uh, that's not intimidating? It's not. No, I love it because – you know, and I do some schools where they want to do it by grade level, so I'll do four assemblies in a day. And I'm getting almost too old for that. Like yeah. four hours of being on stage, being high energy, all that stuff, that's hard. Yeah. It sounds exhausting. It is. And so <laughs> to counter that, like I charge by the show. Yeah. Okay. And so I tell them, I'm like, if you want to do that, it's going to be three uh-huh. to four times what it would be for one. Right. And sometimes they're like, oh, that's what we think is best for our students. Cool. Then I'll do it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to argue about you paying me more. Right. <laughs> but if you can cram them all in and do it all at once we'll do that too yeah. it's fine by me yeah um but you know about 1600 is the the highest i've had in one school that's pretty good so that's, that's a lot of people so yeah. like, that's a lot of kids yeah yeah like i was just listening to the episode where you was like uh when public speakers need to know when to shut up <laughs> and you was talking about negotiating your price for mm-hmm. speaking mm-hmm. uh have you ever negotiated your price down too far <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, like, oh, dang. No, I'll tell you what I have done. I suspect I have done. I don't have any proof of it. I suspect I started too low. Too oh, low. Because they agreed like that. Oh, oh yeah. They're yeah. like, yeah, for sure. We'll do that. I'm like, crap. Yeah. Like, I left Jeez. money on the table there, you know? And it's because people think, you know, well, there's a set fee for everything. Not really. Like, there's yeah. so many variables. Yeah. Where are you located? How many people are going to be in the audience mm-hmm. who might be potential customers? What's it going to require of me to get there? What's yeah. travel look like? All that stuff. So the, the, is such a sliding scale yeah. you know and sometimes I'm like well I'll do it for this and they agree immediately and sometimes they're like well we don't have that in our budget Yeah. so then I'm able to say well what, tell me about your audience tell me about your mission sometimes we can allow some some discounts for that kind of stuff Yeah. but sometimes they're like well we have no money in our budget like I had a conference in Lexington that's, that's coming up that they were talking to me about it and they said well we can't pay our speakers I said okay I understand that I said I just got this book coming out. Can you buy books for the people who are attending your conference? They're like, no. I said, can I make books available? I'll man the table afterwards. After I present, can I sell books to people? No. Then I'm out. Like, it doesn't make sense for me. Like, if you're going to put these parameters, like I'm taking time out of my day to come there and I can't even make books available, which is a take-home resource for your conference attendees. And they're just like, no, we don't want to do that. And I'm not your guy. Yeah. And I'm not offended by that anyway. You know, it just that's sometimes you get gigs and sometimes you don't. Yeah. And in my experience, the free gigs, because I've done free gigs, 
they're the most demanding and the least appreciative. <laughs> yeah. Like they'll work you to death for nothing. Mm-hmm. And the ones who have paid, you know, $5,000 for a corporate speaking event is not unheard of. Like they will take you out to a nice dinner. They will pay for your hotel. Yeah. They will go above and beyond that $5,000 because you're a professional. Yeah. And they're a professional and this is how we treat each other. Yeah. And they're super appreciative. So it's, it's, it's in my benefit to get as high as I can because mm-hmm. they appreciate it more mm-hmm. and they treat me better and I treat them better. You know, I still, the free gig, I'll still go out of my way to serve people. Yeah. But, you know, I don't chase those like I used to. Yeah. Now, new speakers that are starting out, I tell them all the time, like, you're going to do a lot of free gigs in the beginning. Yeah. Right. You're going to do the Rotary Club, the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club, all of the animals, you know, the bears, the moose lodge, <laughs> all that stuff. Like, you're going to do that circuit yeah. for free. Yeah. yeah. Because in those audiences are the people who will bring you to their organization. Mm-hmm. And if not, you're getting reps in. Right. Like they laughed at this joke or they this one bombed. I'm not going to use that one yeah. again. You're, you're getting to test drive stuff. Yeah. You know, Jerry Seinfeld was famous for going into comedy clubs in the armpit of America and trying to do a five-minute set where he was testing out jokes. Mm-hmm. He wasn't on the highlighter. He wasn't even on the ticket that night. He's just going to test a joke or yeah. two. So that's mm-hmm. what you do in those I, I remember places. him talking about that on that uh, – Comedians and cars. Yeah, show. yeah. The Netflix special that he did is really good. It shows the he spent a lot of time on that craft. Like it oh, was yeah. like a science to him. Yeah, he telling was, jokes he was good. Mm-hmm. So, when did you not feel bad asking for people for money? Because you talked to Mark Keen, mm-hmm. which he's my he used to be my youth pastor. Oh, okay. So that yeah. <laughs> was very interested interested in uh, listening to that. When uh-huh. did you not feel bad asking for people about money? So it took a while, honestly, because starting out, I always felt like, and I still feel like that this is my ministry. Like, you know, call it what you want. And I tell people all the time, you shouldn't apologize for making money if it's something you feel is your ministry. Right. There's a biblical foundation for that. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds of that because I don't know where your listeners are, but this is how I viewed it. Mm-hmm. And so it felt wrong for me to turn down a potential gig because they didn't have any money. Right. Because I felt like this was a message that was helping people. I wanted to get it out mm-hmm. there. But at the same time, like, I have to make a living. Like, I have to feed my family. I have to provide for my kids. We just paid for a wedding back in September. Like, Mm. those are expensive. Oh, Mm. yes. Uh, And so, you know, that's there's nothing wrong with that. So I have sometimes felt bad, but today I have a lot of peace about it because I feel like if it's supposed to be a gig I'm going to do, it'll work out. Yeah. If it's not, there's another gig that shows up. And, you know, during COVID, I did a lot of free virtual stuff. But the company I was at this past week saw me on a free virtual presentation 18 months ago. Then their CEO said, 2023 is the year we focus on communication. Yeah. The HR director said, I know a guy. And she reached out to me, and, and you know, yeah. it was a great time. We had we spent the day there and, and really helped a lot of people. Yeah. So you think word of mouth is actually better? For sure. Yeah, yeah word of mouth in the speaking business is a lot. And, you yeah. know, nothing sells quite like a good presentation. Right. You know, if you have a great product, people will tell about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm all the time, you know, the bourbon that I've got or whatever, there's a great <laughs> bourbon. Like, you should try this. You know, I'll even give you some. Like, yeah. it's a good bourbon. Uh, you know, if it's a great thing, you'll tell other people about it. Yeah. If it's not, you're like, you know, some people like it. It wasn't my thing. Yeah. Like, it wasn't my thing. And so there's people who see my presentation. They're like, it's not my thing. I'm like, cool. Tell me how I can get better. Yeah. yeah. Like, legit, tell me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a member of Toastmasters in Lexington, a speaking organization yeah. who meets every week because they give legit feedback. Like, they I'll try a story out with them or yeah. try something in a presentation. And they're like, you know, I would polish this or try doing this or something. Yeah. 
when you go to a company, they don't give you that kind of feedback. Uh-huh. They're like, that was so good. Thank you. And I'm like, that's not super helpful. <laughs> like, I, I thank you for that, but that, that doesn't right. make me Thanks better. for the ego yeah. boost. Right. Man. Like, I'm going to go home smiling, <laughs> but that doesn't make the next presentation better. Right. <laughs> I mean, I go home and tell my wife, I'm a rock star. Yeah. You know, all you got to do is ask this company. Like, they think I'm huge. I'm awesome. I'm awesome at this. <laughs> this guy said so. That's right. Please tell my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you figure out that... Um, I don't know. When did you figure out that? Hey, I can I can really make. A, well, I already know that answer. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, well, let me like, let me yeah. say this, Moose, because I know where you're going with this. Like, I was attending a lot of conferences, mm-hmm. and when I realized that this was actually a job, that because yeah. people don't realize speaking is a job. Right. They think you're mm-hmm. just a local expert that they brought up on the stage. Like, you go to a conference, you don't think that this person is traveling the country yeah. doing this presentation, but they are for the most part. Yeah. And so when I realized that, when I was attending these conferences, I started Googling these people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are they getting paid? You know, I yeah. want to know what they're getting paid. Because I do that. I do that with Bruce Buffer. Like, I was like, well, Bruce Buffer gets paid a lot of money to yell <laughs> yeah, into sure a microphone. Like, <laughs> he sure does. It, and yeah. he's good yeah. at it. So oh, I have yeah. no problem. Yeah. Bruce can make all the money. Yeah. And he's got a brother yeah. who sounds just like him yeah. uh, who's doing does, the same stuff. Doesn't he do the UFC? Yeah, both of Ma- them. Oh, yeah. Ma- Michael did... Uh, WCW back in the day. Yeah. yeah. The main events on okay. Monday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then Bruce does UFC. Yeah. yeah. So, and I started Googling these speakers and realizing what they were getting paid. I'm like, well, this is a legit thing. Like, yeah. this is a business that I could do. And then I got started listening to the podcast about speaking and reading the books about speaking and building the business. Yeah. And that's when, you know, I kind of started pursuing that. Right. Yeah. What made you, uh, I guess, I don't want to say tackle, but what, what do you love most about public speaking? To me, what what I love about being on stage versus virtual is seeing the feedback from the audience. Mm-hmm. The book was fun to write. I don't get the immediate feedback. Right. And it's really a, a dance. It's, you know, if if they're connected with this joke in the first five minutes, they're going to be super emotional in the last five yeah. minutes. Like, <laughs> and so what do you do? You get bigger in the beginning to make sure they're all on board, get as many of them on board as yeah. you can, and then you just take them for a ride. And no presentation is the same. Like, I do the same content wherever mm-hmm. I go. It's personalized for that audience. I talk to the executive leadership beforehand, see what specific problems you're having, yeah. how can we personalize this, because I want to custom make it for their audience. But then, based on the feedback in the room, the stories get different. They get shorter. They get longer. We might add in a different story. I yeah. tell people who want to speak, I'm like, well, then you need to collect stories. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's like a patchwork quilt. You're just going to weave in all these different stories mm. to get them to this end result. Yeah. And some audiences will give you more feedback. Mm-hmm. Some won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the most difficult audience I had was at a high school up in northern uh, Minnesota. Oh. And it was on an Indian reservation. And the school resource officer who took me, I did like six schools in northern Minnesota in February, which I don't recommend going to Minnesota in <laughs> northern Minnesota in February. Like it sucked. It was cold yeah. and snowy. Yeah. Uh, and of course, being from Kentucky, I asked the guy, I'm like, are you not worried about snow when you're booking this presentation? Like, because in Kentucky, snow shuts yeah. us down. He goes, we would have to have more than 18 inches of snow overnight what? in order for it to affect, and in order for it to delay school. Yeah. Oh, just delay. And like there's 20-foot drifts in front of the schools, and kids are just walking through and going to school. <laughs> like it was weird. But on this Indian reservation, the school resource officer told me, he said, these kids will be really quiet. They will not make eye contact with you because mm. it's culturally rude to make eye contact with you. Oh, and okay. so they won't look at you 
and they won't respond when you ask them to respond. And like I was working hard in the beginning trying to get reactions yeah. out of these kids because that's what I do in high school assemblies and middle school assemblies. I want them laughing in the beginning, and these kids just wouldn't. Yeah. But they lined up to me afterwards to talk to me and say how much they appreciated it. Like nice. they were looking over my shoulder the whole time. But, yeah. So I couldn't read that audience, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. But you just do start reading the audience, knowing how much is too much, and then when you need to give a little bit more to get them on board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's it's a it's a dance that yeah. I really enjoy. Yeah. What do you want the audience to do differently after listening to you? I want the audience to, with this corporate presentation, what the book is about especially, is to not be afraid of difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell them, you know, sometimes in the speaking stuff, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, like during Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. like I was really bothered by that as a retired law enforcement officer. Yeah. And so I intentionally contacted my black friends and had coffee with them. Yeah. And the only people that offended was my white friends. Because they're like, that's so rude of you. You would single those people out. I'm like, listen, if I had a financial question, yeah. I'm going to contact my accountant friends. Like, I don't know accounting. And yeah. I contacted my black friends, and I was like, I need to talk to you about these things. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know what you know. And they're like, well, I've never been a police officer either. I would love to talk to you. Yeah. So we had beautiful conversations where they told me things and gave me a perspective I just didn't have. Yeah. And I left those conversations better. Than I than when I went into them, yeah. And even with my oldest daughter's wedding, when when she when her fiance talked to me about ask, asking for her hand, he's a great guy, super thrilled. He happens to be a black man. Mm -hmm. We're not in our family, but I don't care. I told my girls all the time, I have very few rules on who you marry, right? Yeah. Like I like somebody of the same faith because you're going to fight over that if you're right. not, yeah. right? That's a that's a, almost a deal breaker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I told them, I'm like, listen, I would love to tell you that the world is going to be 100% okay with this. Yeah. But I don't have that lens. My wife looks a lot like me when it comes to skin tone. Yeah. So what I would love for you to do is have conversations with a good friend of mine who's in an interracial marriage mm -hmm. years down the road from where you are. So they can tell you what the world is going to say to you, how they're going to treat you, because I don't know. Yeah. So finding people who have information that you don't have and just saying, I'm not judging, I'm not doing I just want to know what life is like for you. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. And that can be a coworker. I'm not asking these people to be representatives of their race. That's stupid. Yeah. I just want to know what life was like for you growing up. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be race. It could be, you know, I sat and talked to a guy at a Garth Brooks concert one time who was hoofing it up the stairs, dressed all in black before the show. <laughs> we had a 20 minute conversation about, you know, what do you do here? He's like, I got to take all these speakers down. We're going to yeah. set them up in Minnesota tomorrow. We talked for 20 minutes about that. I'm like, that's really cool. That yeah. That's like learning what you do is fun for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was even more fun when my mother-in-law says, how do we get those seats down there? And he gave us second row tickets and we went down to the second row for that nice. concert. So, yeah. you know, that's not why I had the conversation <laughs> with the man. Right. I like talking to people who have different experiences than yeah. me. And I hope my audience leaves with the fact that we won't get better about things we can't discuss. Mm -hmm. I really believe we have the race issues we have. We have the economic issues we have because we've decided we can't talk about these things. Yeah. If we can't talk about them, we cannot improve them. No, I agree. And we have to be willing to have conversations where we inadvertently say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Or we realize we were wrong. Because mm -hmm. I left some of those conversations realizing what I thought I knew, I didn't know at all. Right. And to be open to that with people who have different perspectives than you, could be socioeconomic, could be a different job. Yeah. I think I want to encourage people to have uncomfortable conversations. Because I've never left one of those not being better. Yeah. 
Sometimes I don't change my opinions at all. But at least I've heard from them and yeah. I understand their perspective. Mm-hmm. I still think they're wrong, but I totally get why you do what you do. Yeah. Gotcha. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I hope the audience gets. I like that. Yeah. That's nice. What you got? <clears throat> so on your podcast, you talked about, <clears throat> well, first off, you talk about not. You know, everyone wants to glamorize traveling for your business, you mm-hmm. know, and you just told us, you know, every ball, hotel ballroom looks the same. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and a lot of times you do it by yourself. So it's not as glamorous as we all think. Right. So when you're not traveling, you also, or, or when you're not working, uh, when you actually get to relax, maybe go on a vacation with your uh, your family, mm-hmm. what's your dream vacation? Or or what's your always go-to destination? Like, like. When the Harveys go and go vacationing, yeah. where, where do you go? You know, it's interesting. We, My girls like the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go to the beach if I can get in the water. Like, yeah. I don't sit in the sun well. I'm too big for that. Mm-hmm. I'm too, you know, I just can't stand that. I'll sit under the umbrella and read a book yeah. all day. Yeah. But if I can get in the water, I'm cool with that. But honestly, we like a big city vacation. Yeah. We've been to New York twice. Uh, love New York. Yeah. If it wasn't stupid expensive, like I would retire there. <laughs> yeah. But it's stupid expensive yeah. because we are the family who eats out probably eight, nine meals a week. Yeah. Like that's just what we do. Like we, we cook at home, but it's not much. My wife's a great cook. Yeah. But every day there's less people in our house as yeah. our girls are moving out and that kind of stuff. And so we like to hit the different shops. We like to hit the different restaurants. Mm-hmm. So a big city where we can park the car and take public transportation, walk around, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm a fan of that. And yeah. New York is is the place for us. We right. we like it a lot. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, being in Jasmine County, Kentucky, do you do any kind of outdoorsy stuff or anything? <laughs> I am not outdoorsy, <laughs> like, at all. Oh, okay. uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, told me a couple of years ago, she goes, you know, Dad, if you had a boy, you'd have to go outside more. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like, yeah. I, I would have to go outside more, but, like, I'm an inside cat, <laughs> uh, mainly because of air conditioning. Yeah. Uh, but we have had our forays into the outside world, yeah. and we hike and that kind of stuff. And I'm not above hike. Like, I enjoy a good hike. If there's air conditioning at the end, <laughs> right. like if there's a tent at the end that's 90 degrees, I'm yeah. out. Yeah. You know, my wife and I went camping one time, two years into marriage. So this is 23 years ago. Yeah. And it was stupid hot outside. And I just finally got to a point where I told her, so I'm getting in the car. Yeah. And I started the air conditioner up, laid the seat back and I slept in the car. Nice. Uh, I'm like, this is not my, my <laughs> thing at all. So not super outdoorsy. And people wanted to d- deduct man points for me all the time. I'm like, I have two daughters and a wife. I carry a purse sometimes yeah. when they need me to. Like I sit outside of the shops. I have no man card left. <laughs> and if I don't go outside, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Now, right. I don't hunt. I don't fish. But I will eat anything you bring back from the forest or the pond or the lake. Like yeah. I'll eat any animal out yeah. there. I love them all. Yeah. Uh, they're delicious. <laughs> I just I don't have the patience to sit in the tree and wait yeah. for them to walk by. Yeah, That's not my thing. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, a couple years ago, I was out in a field chopping wood, preparing for a for a pig roast we were trying to do. And I brought my wife out with me. Um, she was going to come out. I told her I was going to be out in the field all day. And she's like, all right, well, I'll come out with you. You know, bring the dogs. Mm-hmm. Well, my one dog, Bowser, he loves it. He loved it. The, the whole time he was out running around. Peach, on the other hand, she's furry. She's hotter. You know, stuff like that. And I left my windows down on my truck. And we were over there digging through the woods. And 
we got Bowser right here next to us. We're like, where's Peach at? All of a sudden, we look back. This dog has her has herself halfway back into the truck and her butt sticking out the window. Like, I am an inside dog. Yeah. Take me home. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm Peach, man. I'm I'm furry. I'm hairy. I don't do the heat well. Like that's not my jam. So uh, I know you got a story about kayaking with your wife and your daughter. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, and it taught you something about communication. You care to share that with us? <laughs> it did. We, uh, My youngest was like 13 at the time, and my oldest was away at, at a week of church camp. And mm-hmm. we were trying to find some way to to get her phone, her face out of the screen for like mm-hmm. an hour yeah. or two. Like 13-year-olds, like that's all they're doing is on yeah. the phone, and they can't be bothered with anything else. And my brother-in-law called us one time, and he said uh, that week, and he's like, the creek is up because it had just rained. He's like, if you guys want to go kayaking, you can come you know, borrow my kayaks and you go kayaking. Nice. Like this sounds great. Like we'll do yeah. this. I'd never been kayaking before, but I'd been canoeing. I'm like, yeah. how hard can it be? Like I've seen really stupid people successfully <laughs> kayak. So I'm like, we can do this. Like I, I can figure this out. So we're loading up the stuff in his, in his barn. And he's like, you know, life jackets are over there. I'm like, dude, it's, it's Hickman Creek. Yeah. Like it's waist deep at best. Like, I don't think we need a life jacket. And my wife's like, we're wearing life jackets. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I had my life jacket on cause I'm not having that fight. Like yeah. it just wasn't, it wasn't worth fighting over. And we, my wife goes in first. My youngest daughter went in second. I came in third, you know, batting clean up. And my brother-in-law told us, you know, there's a time in the creek where there's one tree coming across from one bank and one tree leaning across from the other. And he's like, it's not a big deal. My wife and I go around it all the time. Yeah. I'm like, cool. So I filed that away, you know, not really knowing what that meant. But I'm like, we'll figure it out. So, you know, we're going down the creek and everything is good. And I take an Instagram pic for, so I can tell people that I'm cool and I took my kid <laughs> kayaking, even though I've never done this before. Like, if you don't take cool pics of your right. parenting wins, like, you're not a good parent. Yeah, it didn't so, happen. You know, so we took the pic and we, we go on. And I hear the, the water rushing as we're coming around this corner. And as we come around, I see the two trees exactly like he described. Yeah. And in the middle of them is a kayak-sized hole. And I'm like, if you make the turns the right way, like, you can get through that and go yeah. around it. Apparently, go around means paddle to the shore, get out, carry the kayak around the trees, and get back in the other side. I did not know that, but as a guy, I just made crap up. Like, oh, yeah. right? I'm not going to ask you what you mean by that. We'll just go around it. So my wife goes first, a couple of 180-degree turns, and she threads the needle right between these yeah. two trees like a pro. My 13-year-old was next. I'm about 30 yards behind her. And she starts kayaking towards this tree, and she makes a wrong turn, washes sideways against the first tree, and the water was really rushing hard. Yeah. And anybody who's been kayaking or understands physics knows what happens next. Like, her and the kayak rolled under the tree. Yeah. Uh Completely. Before she went under, she locks eyes with me. I'm about 30 yards behind her. Her boat pops up the other side of the trees, and she does not. Yeah. So I jump out of my boat and I start running towards where she is in waist deep water. And it's pushing me so hard. I realize if I don't land where she ends up, I'm not going to be able to fight the current to get back to her. I get about 20 yards from her and I see her elbow. It's wrapped around the front tree. And then her face comes up and then it disappears again. And all I see is the elbow again. So I finally get right behind her. I grab both seams of the shoulders of the life jacket that my wife didn't think we needed, by the way. <laughs> and I pulled with everything I had. And when yeah. I pull her out from under this tree, she starts coughing and water starts pouring out mm. of her like like a hose, like more than could have just been in her mouth. Yeah. And uh, then she starts crying. My boat floats up at about this time, and I get her in my kayak, and I'm just kind of walking downstream to where my wife had corralled her kayak. She's crying, and when she gets her breath, Finally, she looks at me and she goes, I just kept telling myself, daddy's coming. Yeah. 
I'm like, you've known me your whole life. Like, you know, I don't outdoor. Like, yeah. how, I don't know where this misplaced confidence in my amazing <laughs> outdoor abilities came from, but she also knew, like, I was the only chance she had. Yeah. So, like, where I'm putting all my, all my chips on dad to save me. And, yeah. and when we got home, my wife, being the southern mom that she is, she's like, you know, take your wet clothes off because they were nasty. The creek was nasty, dirty, yeah. and everything. And she's like, and throw them in the wash and hit the showers. I'm like, I'm going to sit on the porch. Yeah. I sat on the porch, drank a beer, and sat there and just kind of dealt with this adrenaline dump of, almost watching my 13-year-old drown because of my ignorance. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what he meant by that. I was just making crap up. Yeah. All right. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought the only reason she was ever in danger is because when her world turned upside down, she grabbed onto the first safe thing she found, mm-hmm. the tree. Had she not grabbed a hold of the tree, she'd have washed out the other side. Her mm-hmm. life jacket would have popped her up, and she'd have been fine. Right. But because she grabbed a hold, her feet swept out from under her in the current. She wasn't strong enough to stand back up, and yeah. all she knew to do was hold on. And I got to thinking about that. The only injuries she had were some cuts and scrapes on her arm from mm-hmm. holding on as tight as she could to this yeah. tree. And I thought about we do the same stuff. When our world turns upside down, we grab the first safe thing we can find. Yeah. And when a business has an emergency, when we have an emergency, it feels safe to say nothing. Mm-hmm. Like we grab onto silence and we're like, well, I'm just going to, I can't say anything. And the longer we hold on to it, the harder we hold on to it and we don't do anything. If if we would let go, the current will wash us down to a quieter spot where we can stand up. We can regain our bearings. So, you know, that's what I I talk about in the presentation and in the book, because that's what we do. When it hits the fan, a lot of times we grab onto something that's actually keeping us stuck. Uh, and you know, through the pandemic, when I talked about, you know, my business income shutting down, like I started having panic attacks for the first time in my life and thought I was having a heart attack, like was in and out of cardiologist's office. And I'm like, my life's amazing. Like, I don't have any stress. Like, that's what I was telling them. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. But no, apparently it turns out, you know, I was having some issues and I didn't want to talk about it because that's what it felt safe. You know, it felt Mm -hmm. safe to not talk because everybody else has their crap together. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Everybody else is managing and I'm just the only idiot that can't do this, you know? So, you know, and, and as I researched that and found that like 90% of people were dealing with the same symptoms I was dealing with, Mm -hmm. but nobody was talking about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody was being silent. Yeah. Where at the same time, everybody was talking about their COVID experience. Yeah. <laughs> like I had, I couldn't see her or couldn't taste her smell for a week. And like, I was, yeah. you know, I was on the couch for a week. And some people talk about their diarrhea on social media. I'm like, that's the line. <laughs> like, we shouldn't talk about that. Like, you're oversharing now, Karen. Right. Like, stop with the diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what that did for me is when I ended up with COVID, uh, it made it not as scary. Because yeah. like all these people, it sucked for a week and they made it through. Yeah. Where now we're dealing with this mental illness crisis that nobody's talking about. Yeah. Because they're grabbing onto that tree and they're trying to hold height and they can't breathe. And so I feel like from a communication standpoint, we feel like we're controlling it, but we're not. Yeah. We just need to talk our way through it. And we need to let go of that thing that feels safe and wash down to a point where we could stand up. So that's kind of... And that's what I talk about to to new speakers. I'm like, those kinds of things happen all the time. That story mm-hmm. had nothing to do with communication <laughs> until I sat on the porch and thought about the only reason she was ever in danger is she grabbed onto something that felt safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I start thinking, well, I do that crap all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I grab onto my opinion that feels safe. It's not a fact. It's my opinion. And then I talk to somebody who came from a different background from me who has a different opinion. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, man, I get it. I understand now why you do what you do. Yeah. So I've got to be able to let go of some of those things that are keeping me stuck. Yeah. So I can get to a point where life makes sense again. Yeah. Do you find men are more 
silent. It just depends sometimes. Yeah. I think there's a lot of moms out there. I was raised by a single mom, and I know she struggled. We didn't really know it as a kid. Yeah. Like She kept a lot of that crap inside and just did what needed to be done because mm-hmm. uh, that's how we were raised. But you know, I think it's, it is harder for men because they feel like they're supposed to be in charge. They're supposed yeah. to be kind of the provider, the breadwinner in yeah. a traditional home, that kind of stuff. Um, but, man, what bothered me a lot about you know going through what I went through during the pandemic was when I talked to the older men in my life, like they would smile and they'd kind of rear back and they're like, ah, I remember my first panic attack. <laughs> and I'm like, you're freaking Yoda. Like you're the zenest <laughs> dude I know. Yeah. And they're like, no, I went through a season where I had panic attacks. I'm like, why do I not know this? Like yeah. this really pissed me off that nobody told me <laughs> that this is a super common thing yeah. because I legitimately thought I was having a heart attack more than once yeah. and was wearing heart monitors and all of that stuff. Could have been the COVID. I didn't know I had oh. because the COVID can mess with your heart rate. Because yeah, I'd be yeah. sitting on my couch at 145 beats a minute watching oh. a movie. Jeez, wow. like which is what I would get on the elliptical in the gym. I'm saying that's a heck of a movie. It's a wow. <laughs> it was scary, man. And it always happened like 11 o'clock at night when yeah. the doctor's office is closed. That like you know this is the big one. Like I grew up watching Sanford and Son. I'm like this is the big one, Alice. I'm coming. You know that's. <laughs> And like, you know, legitimately it could have been COVID, but the anxiety that that brought on me that I'm actually going to die uh, was a new thing for me. Mm -hmm. And it was something that when it became a thing that I realized people weren't talking about, that's the next presentation that I'm doing in businesses is normalizing the mental health discussion. Very likely could be the next book. I don't know. Still kind of working out, working that out in my head and. Man, my wife, bless her heart, like I don't do something at the house that doesn't become something I say on stage. Yeah. Like if the audience is right, if the story makes sense, I'll share it. Yeah. And I'll openly share these these mental health issues because you know, I found a counselor who specializes in law enforcement and mm-hmm. first responders and because I didn't want to spend the first few sessions talking about how my brain works. It's right, like, I yeah. get it. My brain works the same way. Yeah. Dude. Uh, and so those things are out there. There's another side to this. Yeah. It's a season of suck. COVID is, this is, whatever. But, man, there's another side to it if we just kind of talk about it, normalize the Mm -hmm. discussion. Yeah. So. What what do you have any kind of practical advice for, like, newcomers in this field? Yeah, people that are new into speaking, I, I tell them all, you know, Speak where they can, where they need a speaker, yeah. wherever that is. That could be, you know, and it, you don't have to be a professional speaker. I work with clients all the time who just want to lead a better meeting. Yeah. Like they're like, I'm in charge of this meeting at work and it sucks. How do I make it better? Yeah. I'm like, well, there's things you can do. There's ways you can get people involved to make it more interactive, that yeah. kind of stuff. And that's the stuff that I learned in the D.A.R.E. classroom. Okay. Because yeah. I'm, I'm dealing with fifth graders and seventh graders was who I taught mostly. So you have to have interaction. Yeah. You have to have a give and take. You have to have people up and moving and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And those are the things that can make a meeting more fun like because puzzles, we all have too many meetings. And... Yeah, it could be puzzles. It could be a poll that you give them. It could be like I'm going to have you write on flip chart paper and stick it on the board. And nice. One of the last companies I was in, I had them all list some things that they wanted to – were having issues with at work, and then I had them explain other people's lists. Yeah. They're like, well, I don't know this stuff. I'm like, it's not my list. I'm like, just do your best. Yeah. And what I wanted them to do was ask the people who made the list what they meant by what was on the list, and yeah. they didn't. They just made crap up, which is shows how we <laughs> react in the moment. Like, we just make stuff up. But I tell them, I'm like, if I'm the new guy on your team, is it okay for me to come and ask you for clarification? Yeah. It needs to be, because mm-hmm. I don't know how you want stuff done. Right. So I use that as a moment to put them on the spot to yeah. say, if you don't understand what's happening here, you need to be able to ask somebody. It mm-hmm. needs to be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and none of them did it because they were all leadership team. <laughs> oh, they were all the leaders of the company who, by golly, we're going to fake it till we make it. <laughs> like, you know, you don't want your people doing that. No, you want them to ask for clarification yeah, yeah. if they don't know. <laughs> so, you know, there's things like that that people can do to just liven up presentations yeah. and make them more fun, but speak where people will have you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> when it's all said and done, Scott, <clears throat> and you hang the microphone up and put the pen down, what do you hope you are most remembered for as a person, a speaker, and a writer? Wow, that's a deep question here <laughs> in the Moose Lounge, man. I didn't, I don't, don't know if I had enough bourbon for that question. <laughs> uh, but I like that question. You know, what do I want? <clears throat> and I tell people sometimes, like I, at the end of my presentation, I show a picture of my whole family. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my why. This is why I do what I do. I want, I want my girls to see that you can do what you want and make a living at it. Yeah. Like if you do what you love, and there's parts of my job I don't love. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the travel and Traveling, that kind of stuff, yeah. the booking, the billing, all of that stuff, yeah. it's a drag. But it's part of what allows me to do what I love. So you know, doing what you love, uh, having difficult conversations, encouraging people to get better. But I don't want people to say Scott was a good speaker. I don't want people to tell my girls, you know, he, he was a really good speaker. He was a really good writer. Yeah. I want them to say he was just a good human. Like he – he made me a better dad. He made yeah. me a better mom. Because that's what I tell organizations I work with. Like this communication stuff will make you a better friend, a better dad, a better mom, a better brother, sister. Yeah. And will also have benefits at work. But that's not why we do it. Yeah. Right? That's a side effect of just being a better human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I want people to say is that he was he was helping people be better humans. Right. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> if you could go back. <clears throat> not back before. Uh, if you could go back. Not quite when it began, but if there's one thing you could change, one thing you could have done differently in this career of speaking, mm-hmm. um, what would it be? Something made it made it easier? Maybe you made a decision that you didn't. Be saying, oh, maybe I should have done that, or maybe I could have done this one. It would have made this situation better. Yeah, I think I probably. I've been pretty good at hiring out the things I don't want to do. Like I have a web guy, I have a you know, marketing person, I have. You know, these are people that I pay one of. I have a video crew, and I yeah. need them. They come out, that kind of stuff. Uh, I didn't, and I still haven't really grown an email list. Yeah. I rely on social media and yeah. that kind of stuff. I do have three or 400 names on an email list, but I should have three or 4,000. Mm-hmm. You know, I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. Now, yeah. a lot of those are teenagers, so it, you yeah. don't, I don't market to those people. But what I've been doing this long enough since I started in 2010, I mean, the 16-year-olds that I spoke to in 2010 are now... 28-year-olds, 29-year-olds who are working in companies Mm -hmm. who are bringing me in to speak. Yeah. You know, so those things do happen. But if I had a better email list, I could inform people more and I could, you know, should have started that from the beginning. Yeah. Is done a better job of collecting emails because social media could shut down. Oh, yeah. Like, they could deplatform me. I could become controversial and they could cancel me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, that happens to people who are not being controversial they're right. just disagreeing with the establishment of the day whatever yeah. that is well, yeah. and then they get canceled <laughs> so you know if the email list though you own yeah. those are people you can communicate with and those are your people yeah uh they're the people who will buy your books who will support you who yeah. will bring you in to speak uh so if you're starting out in whatever your business is today grow an email list okay uh, be really intentional about that and a lot yeah. of times that becomes putting good lead magnets out there yeah Here's good questions to ask. Here's if you're in the lawn care company. Here's ten mistakes people make with their lawn, and you can get that for free if you give me your email list. Yeah. <laughs> so you know those are the or your email address. Yeah. 
you know, those are the things that, that will help grow your business for yeah. sure. Nice. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, of course, Jeff already asked you about, uh, upcoming speakers. What advice would you give them? What about upcoming author? What, what advice would you give them? Yeah. Upcoming authors is, is kind of cool. And the, the game changer for me was when I hired an editor mm-hmm. because I, you know, had written this 5,000 words of the wrong book, put mm-hmm. that on the shelf for a couple of years. And when I started rewriting what became this book, when I started working on this book, uh, I had a couple thousand words and I met a friend of mine who works for a publishing company. Yeah. She was like, well, send me what you got because I think we might be interested in the concept. Cause I told her kind of what I was yeah. thinking about the book would be. So I sent her what I had and she said, I think we'll publish this, but in order to submit it to my publishing committee who makes the final decision, she says, we need to know it's ready in 90 days. Like, well, it ain't going to be ready in 90 days. Like we were shooting for 40 to 60,000 words. I'm like, it's not going to be ready in 90 days. I was about 10 to 12,000 words into it at that time. So she gave me the name of an editor and I contacted this editor who actually lives in uh, Oregon, other like three time zones away. (laughs) And I told her, I'm like, this is what I want to write about. This is who I am. And in that first call, she's like, listen, my brother's a police officer. She goes, you know, I've been married for 20-some years. I have a kid who plays volleyball. I was a volleyball coach at the time at the high school. Like, everything lined up. Like, yeah. this is my person. And I told her, I'm like, listen, I'm really forgiving of my deadlines. Like, if I say I'm going to write a chapter a day and I don't get it done, I'm like, eh, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. But she gave me a checklist and mapped the whole process out nice. and said, if you have this to me this day, this to me this day. And then I was working for her, even though I paid her. Yeah. <laughs> she was accounting on me. She couldn't edit the chapter until I submitted it to her. Right. So somebody else had a stake in the game. Yeah. So she mapped out the whole process with the dates and a checklist and my little – middle school brain was like, mm-hmm. it's homework. Yeah. <laughs> I have homework to do. Like I got to get this stuff done. Yeah. And she was amazing to work with. So it, for an author who has an idea and has started, I would recommend they hire an editor. It's the editor. best hire I ever had in yeah. my career. And uh, she's been one of my biggest cheerleaders. And it's, it's super beneficial to have somebody in the writing world say, yes, this is beneficial. Yeah. I've, she read every word I wrote more than once. And she's like, I use this with my husband. I use this with my kids. I recommended your book to other people. So that gives you more motivation to finish it because you're like, this does have legs. This has merit. The world needs this. Because the problem with ideas in your head is they're all good in your head. Yeah. Like you're like, this is amazing. (laughs) And you're just typing away and then it's not amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you have somebody in the business who is like, yeah, I think we need to get this out. Right. Uh, So, you know, she set the dates. She's the reason the book came across the finish line. Nice. Uh, Okay. For sure. So a good editor. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. I got two more questions for you. Okay. So what do you think will happen in the next five years for you? And then, and you can answer these Mm -hmm. separately, but in what sums you up the best in your vision? Okay. Uh, What's going to happen for me in the next five years is there'll be a second book out. Uh, This one is in pre-release right now, but Mm. you know, whenever people are listening to this, April eighteenth is when it goes live. You can pre-order it today. You can order it anywhere books are sold, so it's out there. Uh, But there'll be a second book. I'll be speaking. Last year was about thirty-five thousand people um, that I spoke to, somewhere around there. Um, Yeah, I don't have the number off the top of my head. Maybe it wasn't that many, but it was thirty-five speaking gigs. Um, and I don't remember the total number, but we're going to double the number for next year. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to push this content out to more people. That's, nice. that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Bigger stages, uh, you know, bigger audiences. 
it, you won't get too many to bother me, so I'm, yeah. I'm good with whoever shows up. Uh, <laughs> so we're just going to continue, continue to grow this. Uh, you know, showing my daughters, you know, my youngest daughter has a gift for this if she decides to do this. I mean, the business is called Speaking of Harvey on Purpose. Yeah. Uh, if another Harvey wants to get out there and start speaking, like, we'll set you up. We'll yeah. get you in there and do that. So, okay. you know, it's something that, that if she decides to do it, she could. So. Is that your Hooters daughter? No, actually, my youngest. Yep. My oldest is an interior designer. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's great at that and is doing really high-end work yeah. right now for J&R Construction, and I'm thrilled with that. But she doesn't have a desire to do this. She's yeah. she's more of a connect on a one-on-one basis. Like, she's if you want to have coffee with somebody mm-hmm. or have somebody lead your kid's group, like, she coaches volleyball and she, you know, leads a group at church. That's where she's best. Yeah. Uh, my youngest you know, did one of the best maid of honor speeches I've ever heard uh, at her sister's wedding. And I'm like, man, this is something you could do. <laughs> She's got a great story. So, you know, just encouraging whatever they want to do, yeah. you know, getting them up and running uh, with their own things. They've been entrepreneurs since they were little yeah. selling jewelry and that kind of stuff at dad's gigs. That's like, awesome. You know, making them run their own businesses and show yeah. them they can do their thing. So the youngest one gives you the hardest time, for sure. <laughs> yeah, man. We and uh, you know, if she was sitting here, she wouldn't deny that. Like we say all the time, if she, if the second one would have come first, there yeah. wouldn't have been a second one. <laughs> like the first one was super easy, low drag, low drama. Yeah. The second one, and, and the difference is, is you know, I, I love them both, and I wouldn't trade either of them for the world. The first one is very um, even keel. Yeah. Everything's like on this even, and the second one is all hot and cold, man. Mm. And it's like playing with dynamite. Like it's super fun to blow stuff up with her, but sometimes it burns you, you know. And and uh, she runs on emotion, and yeah. uh, and uh, it's been a cool journey to watch her do her thing, man. And she's gonna light this world on fire, and I can't wait to see it. Nice, uh, nice. Awesome. Got it. All right. Uh, <clears throat> real quick, you talked about your daughter wanting to start it over, <clears throat> or not start it over, but mm-hmm. possibly. Uh, Come into the business with you. I just finished the uh, the episode with Stephanie Ravencraft. Is, mm-hmm. it, is that it? <clears throat> Does your wife have any desire to get up and speak? No, and that's unfortunate because my wife's a really good speaker. We have taught a pre-marriage class at church. She's really good at that kind of stuff. Nice. She's really good at giving people advice. She's a great teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. <clears throat> but she is not a spotlight person. Yeah. She is very much a behind-the-scenes person, and she... She all the time saw herself as like my wet blanket because I never met a bad idea. Like I have good ideas every day and I'm spouting them out all the time. Like I'm just an out an external thinker. Yeah. She's more internal. And so I told her, I'm like, I need that. Like I need somebody to be the realist to my dream yeah. landscape. Like I need somebody, you know, and this sounds dumb and cliche to say, but like a kite can't fly unless it's grounded by a string. All right. Like, she's the thing that allows me to fly and be on the stage, mm-hmm. and she works the merch table. She sells books. She, She's there supporting me, and she's there to say, I didn't like that thing you did. Yeah. Like, that joke you said, you probably shouldn't say that again. I'm like, <laughs> but they laughed, and she's like, I don't think I would say that again. So, <laughs> you know, and I need that kind of feedback. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's helpful, and, we, you know, we're not offended by yeah. it. Yeah. No, I don't think she'll she'll be on a stage, which is sad because she's really really good and has a lot of good information to share. Yeah. It's just not her jam. She's more introverted than me, mm-hmm. and because she's a teacher, she fo- fo- functions in an extroverted role. So yeah. she comes home tired. Like gotcha. I come home from a speaking gig, I'm ready to run through the wall. <laughs> like you know, give me something. I'm ready to go, man. I'm so jazzed up. She can do it. It, it exhausts her. Right. Yeah. It, it fires me up. It exhausts her. Yeah. So probably not in her cards. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Scott, man, I just want to, we just want to thank you for taking your time to come here on, on our podcast yeah, and talk. Appreciate it, man. I'm excited talk. to read your book. I am man. too. I'm yeah, pretty thank you. <clears throat> So, uh, where can people follow you and find out more about you? Uh, speaking of Harvey.com is the website. It has a link, link to all the socials. Mm-hmm. If they want to find out more about the book, silencekillsbook.com has a video about the book. It talks, you know, you see the cover copy, yeah. that kind of stuff. Read the back cover without seeing the book in the store shelves because it's not out yet. But silencekillsbook.com has all of the resources for the book. But they can also pre-order it anywhere they buy books. Amazon, nice. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, they've all got it listed. Nice. And the pre-orders are what decides whether or not it's going to be on store shelves. Yeah. So, well, yeah. hope, I mean, let's hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, we are. It's going to yeah. be out there. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <clears throat> I will definitely read that and let Jeff but, read it, and we'll talk about it. We'll probably do an episode. Yeah, we might do an episode on it. That'd be yeah. awesome. Done. So, yeah. yeah. So, heck yeah. Well, Scott, man, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your platform with me, guys. Absolutely. There is one more thing I wanted to ask you. One, one last, and it's not about... <laughs> Speaking, this or, is the postscript, <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. This is PS, yeah, there, yeah, PS, PS, PS. <laughs> so, uh, your latest episode on your podcast, you talked about driving a Tesla, yes. Now, you said as a car guy, you was like, me, whatever, <laughs> yeah, but you was like, as a gadget guy, oh, it's ridiculous, man, yeah. I gotta get one, right? Man, that is in the five year plan. I will be driving a Tesla, Tesla? Five Tesla. Years really from now because, <clears throat> and I and I talked in that, and I talked in this, like, I don't do cars at all, yeah, like, I don't care, I drive a. I, 2013 Nissan Altima with 120,000 miles on it because it'll drive another 120,000 miles without a problem. But I'm just not a car guy, but as a gadget guy, like this is like amazing. It just, the acceleration is stupid. (laughs) Uh, Like it just forces you into your seat like nothing I've ever been in. Uh, You know, the, the stuff it does, like in my hotel room, I could pull up the app mm-hmm. and I could see the interior of my car is 33 degrees. Wow. I can run the temperature up to where it's comfortable, turn the seat warmer on before I ever leave my hotel room because it doesn't have to start to do that. Right. It's just running off the battery and it's just going to warm up and it's going to be ready to go. Wow. Uh, That's you know, awesome. The, the self-driving functions on the interstate, it'll set, you set your speed limit, maximum speed. Yeah. And it will brake and accelerate to keep you safe with the traffic around you, yeah. including construction. Huh. Wow. It'll come to a dead stop without you touching a pedal. Wow. Do you trust it, though? In 20 years in law enforcement, <laughs> I trust a computer more than people. Because I've never worked yeah. an accident that didn't have some form of human error. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even a blowout, like you can still drive with a blowout. Yeah. But people panic and they jerk the wheel yeah. and then they end up crashing. Yeah. But – in a computer environment, I do trust it, man, better than I trust people. Ah, that's scary, though. It is scary, <laughs> but, man, that's my professional opinion. Yeah. So there will be a Tesla in my future, so, yeah. Because I rented coming. a car not too long ago. It was a Honda. Yeah. And it had the self-drive yeah. when you're on the – and I hated it. Because you man. couldn't turn – you couldn't even go to the other lane because it wanted to fight you. Right. This The Tesla nudges you a little bit. It will let you go. Yeah. But it nudges you. But also, if there's a car there, yeah. like, it'll stop you. Uh, really? Which is kind of cool. See, this one didn't stop uh, but, <laughs> but it will nudge you, and it will take care of things for you. And and the cool thing, and the reason that I did it is it, it was rented through Turo at 99 bucks a day. Oh. Like, I can't even get, like, a Nissan Altima for 99 bucks no, a day. you can't pass that up. And my wife was like, your car is free. Yeah, it is. It's not near as much fun, you know? It's not a yeah. Tesla. Let me play for a few days on the road by myself and pretend that I'm independently wealthy and yes. I'm a Tesla. Yes. Uh, that's what I did. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I don't blame it. Yeah. yeah. Now, last question. Yeah. 
Would I fit in the Tesla? No. You would. Yeah. Really? Would I really? You, you think would. Yeah, you could run that seat pretty far back. Wow. Man. It's Now, getting in and out would let, be less than fun well, for you, well. but once you're in there, who cares, yeah. right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As long yeah. as I can just drive it, yeah. I want to hit yeah, that ludicrous mode one time. I'll tell you, yeah. one thing that's funny is that he can fit into one of the old Toyota Echoes. Yeah. Oh, perfectly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sure can. Nice. And one of the... Chevy Sonics or Cruises? Probably the Sonics. One of the one, one of the two I can fit in. The other one I can't. But they're both real small. Yeah. And I shouldn't be able to fit in either <laughs> one of them. But um, I was looking for a car a few years ago, and the dealer or the salesperson at the dealership was like, "Do you care?" If I see if you fit in something, <laughs> and I was like, I don't care because apparently it was like a remake of like a a Chevy Alero, yeah, from yeah. back in the day, and okay. and the whole shtick. Or the whole commercial that was, they took a, I don't know, he was about my size, an NBA ball player, mm-hmm. and they like cloned him like six or seven times, mm-hmm. and, they, and on the commercial they shoved all of them in there, and it was like you can fit, you know, all these people yeah. in there, and he was like, it's this but remade, and I fit in that thing fine. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. You wouldn't fit in the back seat of this car, probably. Not. I don't uh, fit in the back seat of many. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not riding the back seat. No, yes, right. it's my car. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. All right, all right. Yeah. That's what I wanted to hear, man. All right, Scott. Well, once again, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. What's up, everybody? I hope you've enjoyed the show. I just wanted to drop our social medias out there real quick. The Moose Lounge on Facebook, The Moose Lounge on Instagram, and The Moose Lounge 1 on Twitter. So if you enjoy what we're putting out there, please follow us on all those. And stay tuned for updates. Thank you all.